BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You got a gun, you got a gun. A deadly shootout in a grocery store parking lot. At the end of the day, this is what I have. You're going home. I'm going home. A private security agency under scrutiny. Private security persons are not police officers. They do not have police powers. Plus, having training is, is paramount. A security guard pulls a gun on a restaurant customer who used the wrong door. Then what happens? I shot. The change in state law that made firearms training optional. How can you put them in a position where you're expecting them to use force if you don't train them what the laws are? From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson here with Jenna Sachs. Hi, Jenna. Hi, Brian. And Open Record's executive producer, Sarah Smith. Hey, Sarah. Hello. We are recording this episode on Thursday, February 16th, 2023. And we are recording this right in the middle of a two-part series on Fox 6 News that is focused on private security in Wisconsin. We're also doing it on a snow day. I know you, you, you uh, both have kids at home. So we're, as the snow is falling outside, we're going to talk all about this two-part series. Uh, tonight, I'm going to be reporting on a change in state law that has essentially eliminated a state requirement that security guards who want to carry guns on the job get special training. We're going to talk about that a bit later in the podcast. But last night, we took an in-depth look at that deadly shootout that took place last summer outside an El Rey grocery store in Milwaukee on the south side. The shooting left two people dead, including one of the security guards. Another security guard is now a defendant in a wrongful death lawsuit related to that. What piqued my interest about this was a question that surfaced right after all of that happened, all of the news coverage. There's a real question about what powers do private security guards actually have? What can they do under state law and when can they use those powers? And so we decided to take a little deeper dive into that case. You know, it's one thing to... Here, you describe what happened that day, but it's quite another to see the video that you obtained that shows this incident at the El Rey. But can we do our best to walk people through what the video shows and what happened? And you're right, Jenna, because I think that video really is a key to an understanding of what happened. When this first took place and we hear there's this shootout between a security guard and a grocery store customer, we're relying on the descriptions of witnesses or what police release. And it, it, early on, they said there was a, a confrontation of some sort, that this customer was being uh, not allowed into the store because he had a bag and that was against store policy. But the early description said that he pushed his way past the security guard and they got into a scuffle. Um, and then on his way out, you know, things happened in the parking lot and the shooting went down. The video shows something that really seems very different from that. The description of this sort of pushing past the security guard. Um, there's even video that wasn't in the story that we put on the air that shows when he first walks in, the, 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 the man's name is Luis Lorenzo. When he walks into the store with this bag, um, he goes to a customer service counter at the front of the store and the security guard is standing there. 
and looks like he's got a styrofoam cup of coffee or something in his hand. It doesn't appear to be concerned. Um, and Mr. Lorenzo then leaves the security or the, the, the customer service counter and walks right past the security guard who doesn't even acknowledge him. He doesn't seem to be concerned. He goes to the food area. There's a, a, a taco stand and he goes to order some food, which his family members later said was something he would regularly do. He would go to that store frequently to get food. He's waiting in line and you see on this surveillance video, the security guard approaches him and starts talking to him. And we can only assume he's telling him this store has a no bag policy and that he's got a, he can't have that bag in there. We don't know what's being said because there's no sound, but you see it becomes a little more animated and they, it looks like they're arguing. This goes on for a few minutes and we can't sh sort of show that time in the story because we don't have all that time, but it goes on for three or four minutes. And finally, uh, Mr. Lorenzo, the man with the bag and the guard walk out of frame from that camera. And about a minute later, they appear in another camera right at the front door. And you see the man with the bag, Mr. Lorenzo, walking out of the front door. The security guard's behind him. It appears he's sort of escorting him out. The guy with the bag sets his bag down and then kind of squares up, like sort of lunges at the security guard in an intimidating fashion, like he like he wants to fight. Looks like he's sort of giving him a little bit of a, you know, I don't know how you describe it, but you know, he, he lunges at him in sort of a, a menacing manner, but then backs off, picks his bag up, and starts to walk away. At that point, he's not been accused, as we can tell from the video, he's not been accused of stealing anything. He's There's not been a physical confrontation. Um, that's the point where, and we'll talk about this in, in just a moment, but where attorneys for his family say the security guards should have just let him go. They kicked him out, they escorted him out, let him go. Instead, the security guard follows him. And you can see from the video, he has a canister of uh, pepper spray in his left hand. There's an eight second gap between that camera and the next camera. When we see them both emerge in the next camera, Mr. Lorenzo is now running and wiping his face as though he's just been sprayed by that can. We don't see it happen, but we can only assume that's what did happen. And as he's running through the parking lot, the security guard, Anthony Nolden, is walking after him. Nolden's a larger man. He's, he's slowly walking toward him. And then a squad car pulls in, a Marshall Public Safety private security car that's marked with light bars and everything. And that is driven by Enoch Wilson, who's the owner of Marshall Public Safety. We later learn that Mr. Wilson had been summoned by Anthony Nolden because he said he needed some assistance. Never said why. He didn't explain the reason. He just said, can you come? I need some assistance. We can only assume that happened at some point during the argument by the taco stand that he gets on his radio and says, I need some help. As soon as Enoch Wilson pulls into the lot, you can see this in the video, Jenny, you see that he pulls in his squad car, immediately gets out and starts chasing after Luis Lorenzo. Nothing has happened that we can see other than he sees his partner following this guy. He sees this guy running, so he runs after him. When he catches up, he sprays him with pepper spray at very close range. And experts I've talked to say it looks to them like it may be sort of an overaggressive use of that pepper spray. And then, um, but but again, I'm not the expert. I'm just relaying what they've told me. Then they begin to sort of scuffle their way through the parking lot. Ultimately, uh, Enoch Wilson grabs him by the shoulders, swings him down to the ground. And now they're in a distant part of the parking lot where you can't see everything. It's obscured by some of the cars in the parking lot. But ultimately, we see some sort of chaos happen where Anthony Nolden, who has just caught up with them, falls to the ground. You see, you can't see uh, 
Louis Lorenzo, who is apparently being still on the ground from having been thrown there, and we see Enoch Wilson fall the other direction. He gets up shortly thereafter and points his arm down toward the ground with a weapon. It's hard to tell if that's when he discharges his firearm, but we do know at some point he ended up shooting uh, Louis Lorenzo, killing him. We also know that he says he did so because Lorenzo had fired at Nolden and killed Nolden. He had also fired at Enoch Wilson, according to Mr. Wilson's account. So it's this chaotic situation. But really, my story was not... I mean, it, it's clear that once Louis Lorenzo fires a gun, once he pulls a gun out and fires it, the security guards have every right under the law, as you or I would, if we were there carrying our own guns uh, with a CCW, they have a right to defend themselves and defend others around them. The question is what happened leading up to that point, and that was really the focus of our investigation. Well, and prosecutors didn't end up filing charges against Enoch Wilson. So, you know, what what was their reasoning? Why did they say it was justified? Because so of when, that? Because, you know, because that, you know, Lorenzo had the weapon? That That's part of it. So th they looked at, at both pieces. The, the uh, Milwaukee County DA's office uh, took 11 days to issue a decision. Um, police did technically refer this for as a homicide case. Um, so for 11 days, Enoch Wilson was technically the suspect in a homicide because, of course, he shot his weapon and killed another person. The question is, was, was it justified? Was it a, as they call it, a good shoot? Um, and the district attorney's office ultimately determined that no question once the gun was produced, once Louis Lorenzo fired it, Enoch Wilson was acting in lawful self-defense. But they added one other thing. They said when he arrived on the scene, he saw Louis Lorenzo running away from his partner. And according to Assistant District Attorney Paul Tiffin, who wrote this uh, decision, it was reasonable at that point for Enoch Wilson to believe that he had done something worthy of being chased and detained. Um, and, and for that reason, they declined to file charges. But that question of whether or not seeing him running was enough is something that private security experts later told me uh, that's not the standard. They say that th that is, in fact, the law says uh, differently. The Wisconsin Attorney General's office has advised differently and said that running is not enough. There has to be more before a private security guard can physically detain someone and hold them for police. You know, Brian, we see these private security guards probably more than we realize just out about living our daily lives. And the thing that, you know, interested me most in your story is you kind of address their wide latitude, or maybe it's police have a wide latitude to detain people, but the security guards, what kind of, you know, what kind of abilities do they have to detain someone? Um, do they have as much power as a police officer or is it is it more limited? That's exactly the thing that got me interested in this, Jenna, because I think we all knew last summer that the DA had declined to file charges. We maybe and I think the video had been released at least to some degree. We'd seen some of the video from this incident um, and it seemed like maybe this was a bit of a settled case. But I still had this sort of nagging question of so what can private security guards do? They're not police officers. They don't have police powers. When can they detain someone? Um, and, and how should they act in a situation like this? There are some security companies um, and some some companies that hire security companies. Think of like a, a large corporation like a Walmart, some others. They don't want the liability of their security officers 
engaging in this way. So they may have a, and I don't know what Walmart's contract is. I threw them out there as an example, but you may have companies that say, we, we want our security guards there for that sort of deterrent presence. We want them to observe and report what they see. We don't want them physically engaging with people because people can get hurt. Customers can get hurt. Shots start getting fired in a busy parking lot. Who knows what can happen? So they may want to avoid the liability. But my question was, what rights do they have? What if the company they work for wants them to be more aggressive, wants them to detain people? And and I thought that would be a fairly simple question for private security experts. And I talked to some people I know in the industry, and they said, you should talk to Tom Sippen. Tom is, and we did, we interviewed him for the story. Tom is a veteran firearms instructor he trains law enforcement in use of force tactics and techniques, and he trains private security personnel. He also happens to be a martial arts uh, expert, a grandmaster. I mean, he's sort of a guru in all sorts of things. But Tom Sippen goes back a number of years, back all the way to, I think, the 1980s. He was part of a panel in Wisconsin that established some of the regulations for private security guards in the state. And he's very familiar with what those restrictions are. And one of the things he said was, there's always a lot of questions in this area. What can a security guard do or not do? By and large, private security guards have no more power than you or I or Sarah and any of us have to go out and arrest someone or detain someone. They are private citizens just like you and me. They do not have police powers under the law. There are very limited circumstances under which private security guards can, in fact, detain someone. And Tom Sippen laid out three for me, two of which sound like they'd be pretty uncommon. One is if someone is suspected of having uh, copyrighted material like bootleg DVDs or something, they're selling them on the street, you can detain them. A private security guard can detain them. Um, maybe, I don't know if that applied to people you know, back in the old mall days of you know stealing a C DVD from the Sam Goody or something, or a CD from the Sam Goody. I don't know. But, but that, that exists. Um, if they're suspected of stealing library materials, an agent working for a library, including a security guard, can detain someone if they think you've stolen the library book. Um, the only other situation that the law actually gives explicit authority for security guards to detain someone is retail theft, shoplifting. That's the most common. So if Louis Lorenzo had been suspected of stealing something from El Rey, they would have had every right under the law to detain him right then and there. We know that Enoch Wilson tells police after this is over, I don't know why he called me my partner. I don't know why my partner called me. So he didn't have any specific information that Luis Lorenzo had stolen something, and we later find out he was not accused of stealing anything. All he knew was he was running, and the law does not give, does not offer that as one of the reasons. I'll go one step further and say that's what applies to private security. As I said, private security guards can do what you or I can do. They can make citizens' arrests. We can make a citizen's arrest. There's no statute in Wisconsin that governs citizens' arrests, but there's sort of a common law uh, understanding that in certain circumstances you can't. And the Wisconsin Attorney General's office has offered an opinion they did 15 years ago that said, if a security guard or you or I or any other private citizen believes someone, if they have probable cause to believe they are guilty of a felony, then you can detain them until police arrive. Or if you personally observe them committing a misdemeanor that constitutes a breach of the peace. So that might be something violent, maybe a domestic situation, a fight. In that situation, you do have the authority as a citizen to make a citizen's arrest. Those are the only circumstances where a private security person can do those things. Whether they wear a badge or carry a gun or have a car with flashing lights, it doesn't 
give them any greater authority to make arrests or to detain people than anybody else. Well, in addition to talking to Mr. Sippen about some of that stuff, you also talked with an attorney and who was representing, you know, uh, in a wrongful death longs- lawsuit. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So William Sultan is the attorney who's representing the estate of Luis or Luis Lorenzo. Uh, Mr. Lorenzo is the one who, the person who was the customer at the store who uh, was ultimately shot and killed by Enoch Wilson and who police say shot and killed Anthony Nolan. Attorney Sultan says this is one of those cases where had they just let him go, in his view, that's what they should have done. Had they let him leave as the video shows he was doing, he was walking away, uh, that none of this would have happened. And then he believes the security guards overstepped their authority and created the situation that put them in the predicament where they had to act in self-defense. Um, and and his argument in the lawsuit is you can't create your own situation where you need to defend yourself and then claim self-defense. If, in the analogy, I think that, that he would be getting at is if I attacked someone on the street and then they pulled out a gun on me and I claim it was self-defense, well, I've created that situation. He's suggesting that's what happened here. That's pending in a lawsuit. I can't tell you who's right or wrong. It'll be determined ultimately in court. The case is still pending. But that's really the argument he's making is they overstepped their authority. And uh, and and he takes it one step further, which is to say there's a pattern of behavior here. This isn't one incident. And that's another thing we looked at is uh, we filed an open records request with the Department of Safety and Professional Services for all the complaints filed against both Marshall Public Safety and individually against Enid Wilson. And there were seven against the company and four against Mr. Wilson individually um, over the years. And uh, they range from complaints about, uh, you know, essentially impersonating police officers to um, uh, overzealous use of of force. In one case, it actually was another case that went to court. Uh, A man named Carnell Bates sued Marshall Public Safety and Enoch Wilson, saying he had held uh, him and a friend at gunpoint in their own apartment complex and uh, kicked and stepped on one of them, held him in a, a private security squad car for 45 minutes. Police never came. He ultimately released them with nothing having happened, and then they filed a complaint. That case was settled out of court. Um, it went to court. They had an expert who testified or prepared testimony saying that Marshall Public Safety and Enoch Wilson had had acted far beyond their authority, had exceeded their authority, and ultimately the case was settled. But DSPS chose not to investigate the case at all, and that's one of the things that Attorney Sultan really talked about, Jenna, was he feels DSPS is not doing enough to regulate private security, to ensure or to enforce the regulations that exist. Um, there aren't many, but the ones that are there, he says they are. They should be doing more to hold companies that violate those regulations accountable. Well, it is difficult watching the video in your story, knowing that it led to two people dying. Um, just given how it unfolded and watching the security officers follow the gentleman through the parking lot. It's hard to watch. Now, this was the first part of a two-part series you have on this topic. Can you tell me what's coming up um, and and what you're looking into for your second story? Yeah. So tonight we're going to be uh, talking about another thing that came up that was an outgrowth of this case. And and both Anthony Nolden and Enoch Wilson, uh, we learned very shortly after the shooting, had firearms certifications with the state at one time. But at the time of the shooting, both of their firearm certifications had expired. So the question becomes, well, were they in violation? Should they have even had guns? 
And one of the things we found last summer was, in fact, the state said it was okay that they had guns. The DA's office said it was okay that they had guns because while their firearm certifications were not valid, they did have concealed carry permits under state law. And that led us to the next question, which was, so if a concealed carry permit is enough, is firearms training required for security guards at all anymore? And what we found is not really. That training is now optional. That certification is now optional. And there are many companies to save money that are cutting corners to uh, to save money on, on, on that kind of training and end up putting people out on the street who are not necessarily prepared. Now, I'm not saying that Enoch Wilson wasn't trained. I'm not saying that Anthony Oakland wasn't trained. But that same thing that allowed them to carry guns without certification is also allowing other security guards to carry firearms, to be armed security, to do it as a profession and do it with very little training at all. I, you know, in reading the story that's coming up tonight at nine, um, you know, there were many times as I read the script that I went, oh my gosh, like there, I mean, some of the things that you're going to share with viewers tonight, you know, I, I would say is our, you know, the amount of training certain professions need, um, you know, and I would think in my head that security guards would be right up there. Um, so I think a lot of viewers are going to be, I would say a little surprised by some of the, the statistics and numbers that come out tonight. Well, and I, I think this is one, uh, tonight's story is really one that was, it, this was not an intentional uh, vote or decision or policy. This sort of became a fallout, maybe an unintended consequence of the state's uh, law on concealed carry. That was passed back in 2011, um, Act 35, 2011 Act 35. I believe it took effect in 2012. Um, but that's the law that, of course, allows citizens in the state of Wisconsin to carry a concealed weapon so long as they have a license. And um, those who believe that it is a constitutional right to do so, constitutional carry and uh, uh, supporters said there should be very minimal requirements for that because it's a constitutional right. Um, so they said, uh, you know, at, at the most, we want very minimal training. And as it turned out, there's a roughly a three or four hour course that's required to get the basic information you need so that you can then uh, get a concealed carry license. We've heard reports of some places that will essentially, uh, you know, fudge on that. Maybe you get an hour or two hours or, or somebody just says you took the course, um, whatever that may be. One thing we know is you can take a concealed carry course and never touch a firearm. Um, just learn about sort of the, 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 the things you ought to know about owning one, how they work, you know, self-defense laws, things like that. Um, but it was never really intended to apply to professions like private security. But when private security companies looked at this and said, well, wait a minute, you're requiring us to take a 36 hour training course in firearms proficiency, understanding the laws of when to use force, when to shoot, when not to shoot. That's expensive. Um, and we've got all these other people out here carrying guns who went and took a four hour course. Why should we have to take this more expensive course, and it was ultimately determined by the state that it would be illegal to have a more restrictive, or at least their interpretation was, that the more restrictive 36-hour course uh, was unnecessary if they had this concealed carry permit. So DSPS ultimately determined, essentially, if you want a state firearms certification, you can get it, and maybe you want that for your own purposes in terms of legal liability. Maybe you work for a company that says, I don't care what the law says about CCW. 
I want to know our security guards have special training in this area to protect us in a lawsuit. So many companies still pay for that kind of training, but especially smaller ones. And we found in our story that more than two thirds of security companies in Wisconsin are small. They have 10 or fewer employees. Um, for them, the cost savings can be the difference between the company surviving and not surviving. So many are cutting that training out. And that means they're getting people who have little to no experience. They may know how to handle a gun. They may have been to the gun range, but it doesn't mean they know when to shoot, when not to shoot, when to engage, when to detain, when not to. Um, there's a lot of training that goes along with that that is missing. And we're finding that it is putting some people on the streets who are armed and working private security who don't really know how to handle a weapon. So what's the practical impact of that? I mean, you have another incident you're highlighting tonight. Um, does that reflect this issue? Yeah, it, it, this was another one that was actually provided to me by attorney William Sultan, the person who was suing El Rey. Um, sort of a take a look at this one that, that he's also working on. And this was at a Qdoba in Milwaukee on the east side, um, Brady Street. It's a weekend night. It's just about three o'clock in the morning. And of course, you know, there are bars on Brady Street that are closing around that time. So what do people do after they leave the bars on the weekend? They want to go get some food. And so the Qdoba is right there. A lot of people start streaming in wanting their late night taco fix. And Qdoba has a couple of entrances there, one that's on Brady Street and one that's on the side of the building. And to control the crowd, especially a crowd that's been drinking, they lock one of those doors on weekend nights. Um, but as if you've ever been in a restaurant that has doors that lock from the outside, sometimes you can still go out. And that's what happened here is there were some customers that went out the locked door and two other customers walked in as they held the door open for them. The security guard sees them coming in the wrong door, says, hey, you've got to go back and, and come in the other door. The man stares at the security guard like you've got to be kidding me. It's sort of the look he has on his face. And eventually he decides he's just going to walk in anyway. The security guard, inexperienced, she's been on the job about a year, um, immediately puts her hand on her gun, which is on her right hip. And you can see that this upsets the man who's there. And he starts to argue with her and says, you know, essentially, what are you touching your gun for? What are you doing? Now, this guy happens to be, we find out later, someone with a long criminal record of his own. Um, and he is not intimidated by her touching the gun. In fact, he's aggravated by it. So they begin arguing, and she starts to back further into the store as she's telling him, you've got to leave. And he approaches her and gets closer to her. She pulls out the gun and points it right at his chest. And, it, and he says, you know, you better back up, calls her a name. Finally, she says, if this is what you want, this is what you want. And she fires a gun into his groin. Um, he looks, of course, surprised and incredulous and is in pain, and he walks out of the restaurant and leaves. Um, he ultimately goes to the hospital and ends up finding and hiring Attorney Sultan, and, and they are suing. This security guard, as it turns out, didn't even have a license to be a security guard. She was working for a security company that itself is licensed, but she did not have her own permit, and uh, she did not have a firearm certification. As it turns out, we find out that she had a CCW but no other formal training. And when a Milwaukee police detective asked her, why did you pull out your gun in that situation? She essentially said it was it was a warning. They didn't heed the warning, so she shot. She admitted the man never threatened her. She admitted the man never said anything or said he was going to do anything to her. Um, he just didn't heed the warning to leave. 
and she felt that he was a big guy and he was intimidating, so she shot him. But the biggest thing she admitted was she had had no formal training, and uh, and the most she'd done is gone to a gun range with her brother. Um, so it really raised questions about, is this someone who is prepared for that kind of situation? Is this part of the fallout of that lack of training? So last year, an Oak Creek lawmaker tried to bring back the training requirement you've been talking about. Was that successful? I'm assuming not. So uh, Oak Creek Republican Jesse Rodriguez heard from one of her constituents who owns a private security company, someone who believes strongly in training, um, does a lot of training of his own employees, and says he is in competition with other companies that don't. His name is Kirk Bennett. He owns Advanced Private Police. And and, and Kurt Bennett came to Representative Rodriguez and said, look, I can't compete with people who are undercutting me on price because they're not spending the money on appropriate training. And I can't cut out this training because I believe it's vital. It's important to public safety. It's important to my officer's safety. Um, so he asked her to pursue legislation that would do a couple of things. One, it would bring back the 36-hour requirement for private security. While the CCW law applies to private citizens and self-defense, he and Tom Sippen, who we argued uh, or who we interviewed for that first story, they say it should not apply to someone who is carrying a weapon as part of their job because they're essentially putting out there that I have a special expertise in this area that uh, that I am putting myself intentionally in a situation that is more likely that I may uh, need to use a weapon or, or need to use force. They believe in those circumstances. The training is uh, not only warranted, but it's very important. So State Representative Rodriguez um, introduced this bill. It also would have increased or would have given local police the ability to investigate security issues, private security companies, and whether or not they are properly licensed, whether or not they have their firearm certifications. That's something police used to do many years ago. But over the years, that authority was given uh, exclusively to the Department of Safety and Professional Services. And as we will be talking about in our story tonight, DSPS just doesn't have a very big staff of investigators compared to the number of licensees all across the state of Wisconsin. There are more than 6,000 licensed security guards in Wisconsin alone, much less the ones that are operating without licenses, like this, this person was in Qdoba. And that's just one profession. There are dozens and dozens of professions that the state regulates. They have a total of nine consumer investigators to cover all of that statewide. So they don't proactively investigate these things. They wait for complaints to come in, and then they investigate those complaints. And even then, we're hearing reports from people like Kurt Bennett that those investigations take a very long time and, and very often don't result in any kind of, uh, of action. Um, so they want to see police have the ability to investigate this on the local level. What do police think about that? Well, the Wisconsin Police Chiefs Association testified in favor of the bill. They would like to have some of that authority because they say that they do run into situations where they come upon scenes and there are people who are not properly trained who have guns. And they said that actually makes the scene more dangerous. And so they would like to see the training requirement. They would like to have the ability to do some of this investigation. But members of the legislative committee that heard this said they just didn't think it was a big enough problem. They hadn't heard of very many issues like the ones we're going to be profiling tonight, the one we profiled last night. Um, this hearing occurred last February before the El Rey shooting, before this Qdoba incident. And at the time, they said they just didn't think it was a big enough problem. Whether or not this issue comes back, this session remains to be seen. Representative Rodriguez says she's not yet sure what the future of that bill looks like. Okay, so we talked about how there are fewer investigators kind of looking into some of these licensees. 
Um, did you end up talking with DSPS for the story? Well, obviously, I spent a lot of time requesting records from DSPS. I communicated with their assistant deputy secretary, Jennifer Garrett. When I started this, when I first filed the open records request back in October, um, asking for all sorts of records related to these investigations, to private security investigations, uh, they had a, a different spokesperson um, who had taken over. Uh, Greg, and his last name even escapes me, it might have been Sislewski, uh, Greg has already left the agency. So a lot of turnover, a lot of turmoil at DSPS in recent years. Uh, and for a while, they didn't have a spokesperson. So it's this assistant deputy secretary who used to be the spokesperson who reached out to me. Um, I did ask for an interview. So she she finally gets me the records just within the last few weeks um, that I had asked for back in October. But when I asked for an interview, she, she declined. She did send a statement. Ultimately, what DSPS says is, they are a complaint-driven agency, and so the, you know the, if they get a complaint, they'll investigate. But they have just these nine consumer investigators. She added one thing though. She said when it comes to private security, first of all, with the training, that she says that would require a change in state law. If they want to bring back that training, it would require a change in state law. That's where lawmakers would need to come in and say, we need to reinstate this training. DSPS can't enforce that or require that themselves. The other piece she said is there are other professions in Wisconsin that they have a little more leverage over licensees because they can levy fines against them. Private security is one where they do not have that authority. Um, and, and you can imagine, she doesn't say this, but it sort of leaves the suggestion that it makes private security complaints a little harder to deal with or maybe a lower priority, I don't know. But uh, but she did say that they do not have the authority to levy fines. That's another thing that would require legislative action. Whether or not that kind of action is in the offing, I guess, remains to be seen. But uh, ultimately, DSPS said they have received 61 complaints over the last five years against private security. And you consider the number of security guards there are. That may not sound like a lot of complaints. I know the people I talk to in the industry say that is the tip of the iceberg. And it's one of the reasons they would like to see police have the opportunity to investigate. One thing I really I got from talking to a number of people in the security industry is they say the current state of things, it, there's just not enough regulation and enforcement from their perspective. Obviously, there may be others who disagree with that, but it is certainly an, an ongoing concern. And that's a good time for us to go off the record. This is the part of the podcast where we get a little more casual, have a little fun by answering a question for which we have not prepared. And I know Sarah's got another good one for us today. What do you have, Sarah? Oh, boy. Um, today, we are talking about action figures. Okay, so you are being sold as an action figure. <laughs> what two accessories do you come with? So think about what things might come in the packaging with you. You know, you know, Barbies are packaged. Sometimes she comes with a laptop and, you know, I don't know, her Yeti or something. It, see, the thing is, is this what other people would think should come in this or what we think? Because I feel like other people would be like, oh, give him a microphone because you work in news. I wouldn't. No, no. These are. This is more like this isn't like a job thing. This isn't like um, business, Brian. This is like <laughs> action figure Brian Polson, who lives his normal day-to-day -day life. He's a real person, too. Um, I think one of my accessories would be a pair of joggers. <laughs> yes. And I know Jenna can attest yes. to this, too. During, during like, uh, lockdown life, I know she and I had many conversations about the number of joggers that we continue to purchase and have delivered to our homes because they are a fantastic and superior pair of pants. <laughs> That's one. What's your other one? Um, Gosh. I was thinking about like, do I, 
do does my action figure come with a shirt that says don't hug me <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not a hugger yeah, i could see that i feel like that's that's probably my second one so I, I was just thinking i think one of mine might be a soccer ball oh yeah because I, i've been playing soccer since i was four i still play now i you know my my uh uh, my kids have been to many of my games. They grew up at Eline Soccer Park going to games with me. Um, they play outdoors in the spring and summer and indoors in the winter. Um, so I think that's one. At least that's one I'd like maybe associated with me. Doesn't mean I'm a great soccer player, but I like to do it. It's you know something I, I commonly like to do. So that might be one. Um, I'm afraid the other one would be like a box of Cheez-Its or something. And that... <laughs> <laughs> Not pickles. <laughs> Not pickles. Actually, you know what I fear the other one would be? It, you, you'll laugh at this more than anyone, Sarah. It would be my Anytime Fitness t-shirt. Yes, I would. <laughs> because, so we, when we started doing this podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, obviously we're doing it on Zoom. You're doing it from your home. I'm always in my basement. And I have this one t-shirt that just, it's cotton and it's comfortable and it fits me really well. And and so it, it's, it's always right there in the t-shirt drawer and I grab it and throw it on. And there was one time, I don't know how many times in a row I'd probably worn it. And finally you were like, there's Polson in his Anytime Fitness shirt. And I'm wearing it today. I'm still wearing it. I mean, it's it's under a hoodie, but there's, you yeah, guys can't see this is. on the podcast, but there's the, the light blue, powder blue Anytime Fitness t-shirt. <laughs> I implore you the next time it gets washed and folded that you don't just set it on top in the drawer. I challenge you to put it like five T's down. <laughs> You, that you're right that that's why because I do the laundry it, and then it yeah, goes it in happens, the, yeah yep, it's accessible I totally agree yep but the funny the, the, the irony of it is like if you if I was an action figure with an anytime fitness t-shirt it suggests that he must be really fit but it's not like anyone would be like look at that guy he works out all the time it just is a comfortable shirt it'd be like workout Brian because you'd have your soccer ball and your anytime fitness that's true t-shirt. and that's too much that's why there needs to be a third <laughs> accessory a and that's the box of Cheez-Its <laughs> okay <laughs> Jenna? Sarah, I feel like yours should come with like multiple joggers, like in different colors that they could Obviously. change. I mean, as I know <laughs> like you have them in multiple yeah, colors. I sure, right. I sure do, yeah. <laughs> her joggers for day and her joggers for yeah. night. Dress up um, joggers. Yeah. I was thinking about this and I wish I had like, I seemed cooler, but if I'm being realistic, my action figure comes with like a mom bag filled with like Kroger <laughs> mini muffins. <laughs> snacks. Just snacks. Just stuff and band-aids like, you can't find the keys in there because there's so many bags of goldfish and yes. mini muffins which are like all all my kids want right now granola yep. bars um and then i don't know maybe i've been trying to drink more water so maybe i have a giant water bottle that's my new year's resolution is to drink more water um so a big old massive oh as she as sarah takes a sip with a giant cup of water Cheers. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. And maybe some running shoes. It's the only thing I do for myself. A giant water and some running shoes. Um, but I wish I had a cooler answer. Like, but that's just my life right now, if I'm being honest. I was I was actually, you know, when you talk about cooler answers, I was actually going to say that my action figure should probably come with its own, like, spreadsheets or something. Yeah, definitely Excel. <laughs> both, both work and home, I, like, live on yeah. spreadsheets. So, like, somehow my action figure should have, like, its own software package. Or something, but I that that talk about nerdy and, and boring. So we'll just go with the we'll go with the anytime fitness t shirt, the soccer ball, and some Cheez-Its. They never let you down. Well, if we're doing if it's promo day at Fox Six, mine would come with some jewel tone dresses. Ooh, and uh, <laughs> no and patterns. Clip on Mike. <laughs> and Brian's would come with an assortment of ties. That, that right? That's I just have to have solid color ties um, to match all the jewel tone dresses that you guys wear in promos. 
All right, well, that's a good way to wrap things up this week. If you have a topic you would like us to discuss on Open Record or an issue you think we should investigate, please send us an email to fox6investigators at fox.com. Jenna, thanks for being on. Of course. Sarah, as always, thank you for joining us. No problem. And as always, thank you to the other people who make this podcast possible, most especially our editor, Dave Machuda. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or wherever you do your podcast listening. With that, I'm Brian Polson. We'll be back next week. <laughs> <laughs>